The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, you're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio and welcome to the Cambridge Film Show, your one-stop shop for shop talk on films big and small across the city in South Cambridgeshire. It is a balmy Saturday afternoon, so find somewhere comfortable and grab a nice drink as uh, our experts guide you through what is and maybe isn't worth catching in cinemas on stre- or on streaming this week. I'm Lorcan O'Neill and with me today are Matthew Taylor. Hello. And Will Johnson. Hello. And we've got oh so many films for you today, so it's going to be a bit more conversational than usual as we cover a mammoth seven titles. Uh, first up is sort of video game adaptation Gran Turismo. Uh, Oscar-nominated filmmaker Hel- Nicole Holoff Center, sorry Nicole for that, uh, brings up uh, an Amazon dramedy You Hurt My Feelings. Uh, Disney reinvents their Haunted Mansion ride for a modern audience. DC attempts to claw back some money ahead of James Gunn's new empire with superhero origin story Blue Beetle. Things get steamy when the son of U.S. president is forced to befriend a British prince in red, white, and royal blue. Gal Gadot tries to save the world from an ill-timed spy plot in Heart of Stone. And last but not least, maybe, Will Ferrell returns to a starring role, kind of, in raunchy canine comedy Strays. So without further ado, let's start our engines. If you miss a line in the game, you reset. You miss it on the track, you could die. Who do you think the best driver is? Probably Rory. I would dust him in a lap. Jan, all you do is play video games with some crazy dreams of racing cars. Dad, you're the one that told us to always do something we love. You know what racing cars cost? Look around. It's not our world, son. What is this? It's a contest. The best Gran Turismo players in the world get a chance to compete in professional racing. Dude, this is real. This is real. I'm sorry. You really think you're going to take a kid who plays video games in their bedroom, you're going to strap him to a 200-mile-an-hour rocket. It'll tear him to pieces. Sci-fi auteur Neil Blomkamp takes a break from space, aliens, and robots to bring us the based-on-a-true story of a tournament held for a group of gamers to become true race car drivers. Uh, ambitious young motorhead Jan is brought under the tutelage of an optimistic Orlando Bloom and a very reluctant David Harbour to push his skills to the limit and try to become the next racing sensation. Will, uh, w- did, was this inspiring? Did this inspire you? It did. Um, when they first announced it, I thought, oh apprehensive is this going to be like speed racer because i absolutely hate that film um but thankfully it was actually better quality um for me it was a cinematic breath of fresh air and as it was based on true events it made it even better um it's all about jan martinborough martinborough and uh when the trailer first dropped i thought "Eh." but then as more trailers actually dropped i'm like this is brilliant and i enjoy how it switches from the virtual world to the real world, and Jan Mardenborough actually was the stunt double for um, Archie Medwaki, who is the younger cousin of, I think, I've forgotten her name now, actually, Ashley Medwaki, who was in a show called Revenge a few years ago. Okay. Which so absolutely loved. Some nepotistic stunt casting, we love it. Yeah, yeah well, it's not who you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, you've seen this as well. Um, Bloom Camps, uh, I mean, he's known for a, a different genre, but does he bring the same kind of technical skill to this? Yeah, I, I thought this was really great. It 
it's kind of marketed as a video game movie, but it, it isn't really. I mean, it is a racing movie, and the race scenes are all shot really nicely. There's lots of cool drone work. I think it's all practical. It didn't seem to me much CGI. Maybe there's a little bit of enhancement for the crashes, but in terms of if you're a car fan, this will give you a lot more satisfaction than, say, a Fast and Furious did or the most recent Fast X, at least. So, so, yeah, there's a lot to like here. Yeah, Blomkamp's quite an odd choice for this, but, you know, he wanted, he clearly wanted to do it, and he's had a lot of fun with it. The cast are great. I thought Orlando Bloom as the sort of slightly, n- not sleazy, but uh, the marketing exec mm. who, who knows that this is all just a stunt, but then gets kind of caught up in... The, the drama of the story as it plays out. David Harbour as the coach is just phenomenal and <laughs> his relationship with with Jan Mardenborough going from sort of sceptical that a bunch of sweaty gamers could ever compete with real athletes. So he, his progression from that kind of attitude to being an almost sort of surrogate father figure was very satisfying to see. Uh, uh, <laughs> with full disclosure, I am predisposed to like movies like this. I love sports <laughs> films. You know, I like Nicolas Cage isn't even in this one. <laughs> if, oh, yeah. if only it had <laughs> Nicolas Cage, the only thing that could have made this better. But it, it, it's just great. It's, I just want a movie. It's not going to shock you with any twists and turns. You're just going to see an underdog get better through a series of montages and then get some great triumph at the end. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I well speaking of the cast, I have this weird thing with David Harbour where every single trailer I see him in, it just looks yucky. Like I saw him in like Hellboy or <laughs> We Have a Ghost and I saw him in this and I was like, Oh, it's the guy from Stranger Things. He's going he's acting really over the top. It's a very kind of character actory vibe. But then whenever I watch those films, he tends to be the best thing in it. Um do you think do you agree that the cast was really strong in this well? I think it was really strong and David Harbour just seemed kind of can't seem to do any wrong right now. Seriously. Um, well, I, he was the best thing, and we have a ghost. <laughs> exactly. Well, he was in Hellboy recently as well. Oh yes. Oh boy. The cast was was a little bit strange for this because it also features uh, Jerry. She's listed here as Jerry Horner, but I know her as Jerry Halliwell or Ginger Spice. <laughs> I think everyone knows her as Jerry Halliwell. Jan's mother, and you just think why? Because the the parents are barely in it they sort of pop up again at the end and it's like well <laughs> didn't you didn't you come to any of his other races you're, te- you're telling me jiman hansu just showed up for a one one or two brief moments that's not like him at all yeah he's, he's not hugely in it i mean whilst I, I did enjoy this there were things about it that didn't really work i feel like you could just cut the romance subplot entirely and lose nothing True. and the stuff with his parents like his dad kind of being just so unsupportive even when he is actually a race car driver and only coming around right at the very end felt a bit kind of over the top to me well speaking of over the top is it like obviously it's based on a predominantly marketed towards um gamers does, does it appeal too much to the gamer crowd or is it a good balance i think so um well i think the film has actually increased gran turismo's stock so I can say probably it will be a game <laughs> and ne- by go. next year sometime. But it is predominantly <laughs> a race movie, but there are mm. sort of small touches that bring the video game roots back in. So okay. occasionally you'll get the racing line that you would see on the video game sort of superimposed on the track, or you'll get a little graphic showing what Jan's position in the race is. Yeah. Oh, the one thing I was going to address about it being a true story, there's... A bit of controversy about this movie because 
the real Jan Mardenborough was involved in a very serious crash that did result in the death of a spectator. And the movie plays around with the timeline a bit, making it seem that that crash happened much earlier in his career. Oh, and right. then using that, he uses that as sort of motivation to get better and come back and have his big triumph. Whereas in reality, the big triumph came early and the crash was much later in his career. Oh, so a bit of Bohemian Rhapsody going on. Um, <laughs> exactly. But no. does that matter? <laughs> when, the, as a film... Yeah. It makes more sense for it to happen. So why, why should reality get in the way of that? It adds more, adds more dramatic effect. But I think the only problem I had was that it was set in Wales. Yeah, I didn't hear a single Welsh accent. And obviously Jim and Hunsu <laughs> still had his, um, had his African accent. So mm. it kind of like, he's supposed to be from Darlington. <laughs> exactly. So it just kind of threw it. But at the end of the day, the film was still a classic masterpiece. Well, it's just like when Hollywood set a film in like World War II and everyone's just got an English accent. It's fine. We, <laughs> exactly. we, we overlook it. Um, I think we're, we're almost averaging show for show a um, product movie. So we uh, we had Air, we had Flamin' Hot, we had Barbie, um, Blackberry is still to come to the UK, we've got a GameStop movie on the way. <laughs> did this kind of, did this make you not feel like you're watching a commercial? Did it feel like it's kind of stood on its own legs with trying to tell you an actual story? I, th I think it definitely does both. I mean, it's, it's a really cool, fun sports movie story, but it's absolutely a commercial for Gran Turismo and Nissan as well. Definitely. <laughs> Cool. Um, well, do you, I mean, do you guys want to see another one? Like, uh, is it open up for a sequel or is no, it fairly No, I don't, I don't think a sequel would actually work on this one, but, you know, because it's a good, it's like an origin story which should just end there and then because yeah, I think next thing they'll probably do is probably make uh, a game about Jan Mardenborough and, like, you have to, <laughs> career mode or something. Grand Tree's yeah, not the game. Career mode, the exactly. Game, yeah. Because ultimately, yeah, it's amazing that he went from being a gamer to competing on the sort of world stage a racing car driver but he wasn't actually you know sort of world champion he just did sort of quite well so okay. there isn't really scope to follow him much further than just this that's all they asked for okay <laughs> well an inspiring sports film that's sure to get um, anyone a fan of that genre excited um grand turismo is a certificate 12a um next up we're facing some harsh truths what kind of story were you thinking about how something in a prison oh all right and uh, what about a prison interests you? Jail. For sure. Happy anniversary. We're so lucky. Yeah. So, Elliot tells me you're a writer. And you're the last one. It should have done better. There's lots of new voices. Refugees, cancer, murder, abuse. I'm an old voice. You're the best voice. Maybe if Dad hadn't just been verbally abusive, it would have been a bestseller. Don't say that. Your memoir is great. Your new book is great. How are you? Feeling a little off my game. The only reason she makes me a salad is because she wants me to lose weight, which is passive aggressive. No. I want you to be healthy. Doesn't can, matter. Can you shut Any... up and keep talking? Don, you want to intervene here? We can do this at home. Maybe Milani looks tired. Julie Louis-Dreyfus, star of Behemoth's Seinfeld and Veep, uh, appears here as novelist Beth, whose marriage is suddenly upended when her husband says what's really on his mind about her new book. Throw in some subplots for a parallel moral on the rights and wrongs of truth-telling, and you have a lean Amazon Prime original comedy. Matt, Nicole Holofcener uh, wrote the fantastic Can You Ever Forgive Me? I'm not sure if you've seen that. Um, does she bring a kind of spry wit to this as well? Yeah, I think so. I, I first became aware of this when I was reading the TV Guide and it was listed as a sharply observed comedy. And I think that does hit the nail on the head. This is 
one of the most low stakes movies I've ever seen. <laughs> in That's the, saying something for this show. Yeah, it is just a bunch of sort of upper middle class New Yorkers uh, having some hurt feelings. I mean, the the title is almost juvenile in in how it sounds but Mm. that's what it's about it's just about a few quite well off people getting a bit upset but that low stakes nature made it quite relatable i think because it's all about how people relate to one another and how important is it to be honest or brutally honest as opposed to being supportive or telling white lies and i found it really interesting it's just about is it right to give someone what you think they want to hear as opposed to telling them a harsh truth that might upset them and the movie is sort of just almost a series of scenes just exploring this idea from slightly different perspectives and yeah i thought it was really fascinating i i I feel like it did have um a bit of um like movie streaming itis where you've you've got a slightly a, a decent sized cast with some surprising surprising roles but for instance David Cross uh, shows up which was very exciting but all of his scenes take place in the one room uh, on the sofa and and the costumes change so all I can think of is okay they got him for 10 minutes changes costumes three times but he's there throughout the whole film um, but did you feel because there's some there's fairly equal um, screen time between the main uh, the main relationship between Julie, Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies and their friends Michaela Watkins and uh, Arian, Arian Moyad. Um, did you feel like uh, the chemistry was there between both of those couples? Because I felt like the main one was pretty good, but the subplot I felt was a little uneven. I didn't quite buy that one. Yeah, I think this was by far a focused on the main sort of issue between Beth and Donna. Everyone else was kind of just side dressing to Mm. kind of shed new light on the central dilemma of is it right for Don to hide his true feelings about Beth's new book in order to spare her feelings and then throughout the film you just get to see that actually (laughs) this is my favourite thing about it was that actually Beth is a massive hypocrite and does the things she's upset about Don for many many times throughout the film and yet gets to act like Don's the bad guy. So I thought it's a good sort of skewering of hypocrisy as well. Yeah, no, I thought I did. There's the first half I found a little a little dry, a little Woody Allen New Yorkery without mm-hmm. the yucks. But the second half, there's lots of, I particularly like the moment where um, they're talking, they're, they're finally opening up about like being truthful with each other and all the little lies they tell each other on a daily basis. And Julie Louis-Dreyfus brings out her entire collection of earrings and she, and he's like, well, which ones don't you like? And she's just like, I hate all of them. I thought that was, um, lots, lots of very nice little human touches towards the end. I found, uh, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, uh, Seinfeld and Veep. I, I don't know if you're, oh you yeah, familiar? love Veep, like Seinfeld. Do you, are you able to disconnect from Julie, Julie Louis-Dreyfus from those other things? Because I tend, I feel like she always feels, she always tends to play those characters that are kind of um, biting and cruel and sharp. It, it does, does this distinguish her from her, those other roles? Well, I think some actors do just channel their presence into whatever role they're currently inhabiting and that's no bad thing because Julia Louis-Dreyfus has a, a great sort of sort of sharp comic presence so yeah. she it is kind of hard to distinguish her big roles from one another but 
she's a great fit for this and it works really well. I think that the one of the scenes that hit home for me was when their son is upset with the two parents for over sort of over egging his accomplishments in life and then he's sort of saying, Well, you've always expected the best from me when I wasn't necessarily capable of it. Uh, and then sort of exploring how how we can mess up our own children with the best of intentions. Yeah. And yeah, a very yeah, sharply observed and very interesting. Um on you uh Unusual for this show, and, and it's, it stands out um, from the lineup this uh, this week, where it's only ninety minutes long. It is quite a; it's more of a thought piece of a film. Where there's not really a narrative; it's more just a, each scene is a different concept, and they kind of explore it. Um, with that fluid nature, do you think it could have gone on longer, or do you think it, it overran, it overstood its welcome? No, I think any longer, and it would have become quite tiresome. I mean, I, I watched this with my mother, and she just was absolutely <laughs> bored. It's just, like it, it is, as I said earlier, very, very low stakes. I mean, you never really get any sense of peril for any of the characters, even when uh, Beth and Don are sort of having their big argument when all the true feelings are coming out. You, you never really get a sense that they might break up or their marriage mm. might suffer for this. It's it is just uh, <laughs> yeah, very low stakes. Okay, maybe one for the millennials. If you if you like the cast and you like kind of just. <sighs> Where those those types of films where New York is is a character in and of itself, it's it's one of those. Um, but it's uh, definitely worth watching. It's not a yuck fest. It's not a laugh out loud constantly. But there's lots of really lovely moments. Um, you hurt my feelings. It's a certificate fifteen, and it's streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Um, next up, we have some grim grinning ghosts. When my son and I moved in here, it wasn't as warm as we hoped. I'm gonna light a vanilla candle and it's gonna be a game changer. And after midnight, the house comes alive. This place is haunted! We need your help. It's time to assemble the dream team. We find someone who can communicate with these ghosts. People used to eat here. I told you she's good. Oh, it's a dining room. I found a professor who else wanted mansions. I've been dying to go to this place for years. Mystery lurks around every corner. I summon Madame Leota! I can show you what happened, but it will cost you. Following the tradition of Pirates of the Caribbean and Jungle Cruise, Disney has adapted yet another of its theme park attractions, this time a reboot on the 20th anniversary of the Eddie Murphy comedy of the same name. When Rosario Dawson moves into a creepy old mansion and dark forces come to the surface to scare her out, she hires an unlikely assemblage of oddities including Owen Wilson, Lakeith Stanfield, Danny DeVito and Tiffany Haddish to aid her quest for a happy home with her son. Matt, you've seen this one. Um, With such an ensemble cast, surely this is a slam dunk. I don't know about that. It's uh, a horror comedy that's neither scary nor funny. Oh dear. The, The whole film is... I think the best way I've seen this kind of thing described is it's joke adjacent where <laughs> everything is delivered like a joke but you don't actually laugh okay is it very telegraphed then like they they said they tell I don't you know, the punchlines are coming it's quite 
it's, there's just not a whole lot of sort of wit to it. Like you, you know what you're going to get going in. Like Owen Wilson is is a priest and he's just doing his kind of Owen Wilson chill guy thing. And yes. Danny DeVito, I think kind of gets away with it because he's just a very funny comic presence because he sort of looks like a little troll man <laughs> so he, he he was the one that got like a few small laughs from me yeah i think some of the cast did put in good performances but it was just in service of a film that didn't really deserve it like lakeith stanfield I, I really like and he's actually putting in quite a strong performance as as ben the astrophysicist who is dealing with sort of grief over the death of his wife and he does some really good scenes in isolation but it's all in service of a film that just isn't really that interesting so i it, i mentioned it's a remake of the eddie murphy comedy from 2003 uh, which i haven't seen in a long time but i remember i remember it not being funny and very <laughs> formulaic but um i remember it did have some like decent atmosphere and i love the haunted mansion ride i can quote grim grinning ghosts verbatim um, did this at least have some atmosphere? Did it feel like you were in a spooky house with these colorful characters? Yeah, it, I guess it, it did. I mean, it's it's a little bit strange because the trailer makes it look like they're sort of trapped in the haunted mansion, but they're, they're not really. Uh, There's a sort of slightly strange conceit that if you go in the haunted mansion, then the ghosts will follow you home and then you have to just go back. And that kind of didn't really make sense because they're sort of they're trapped but then during the day they can just go about their business in new orleans and do whatever so there's sort of an odd kind of there's a bit in the day where they go to new orleans and go and look for stuff and then in the night they go back to the mansion and have some spooky things i, I haven't seen the eddie murphy version i haven't been on the haunted mansion ride so <laughs> i guess i haven't got that that experience to draw on for some enjoyment but yeah i'd, I'd struggle with anyone really loving this is i mean nothing to it so i think i I believe that del toro was attached to this for a long time he was great he was very excited another project he was very excited to do that then he was not allowed to do is the plug was pulled on and they wanted to go in a different direction um is there any i mean is would do you think kids would at least find this scary is there any mark that del toro even worked on it is it does it have like that kind of cool production design or anything uh, yeah maybe some of the special effects are cool but it just isn't it feels like it isn't even really trying to scare you it, it seems like a sort of very low energy kind of ghost train ride where it's just like there's a ghost and you go oh it's a ghost whatever don't care um yeah it it's it's hard to really <laughs> say much about this i think <laughs> it has kind of, it, i'm sure it's going to flop because there's not going to be any word of mouth for it yeah and it just, yeah, there's just not really much to get your teeth into. And it's quite long. It doesn't need to be this long for, for how kind of meek it is, really. And with this and with this cast, I mean, I, I'm looking at the cast list, and apart from the Keith Stanfield, I don't think I see anyone under the age of maybe 50. Is that, <laughs> is that just going to, do you think that's just put off people coming to see this with their kids? Like kids, I can't imagine kids are pawing at the door to see Danny DeVito in anything. <laughs> yeah, maybe it would have worked better if you could have got some people with sort of social media following. Or I remember bringing back to my favorite topic of Nicolas Cage, there was his movie Willy's Wonderland where my wife actually was really excited for it and I was like wow you're excited for a Nicolas Cage movie and she's like oh no there's just this this guy from TikTok or whatever <laughs> I want to see in it <laughs> so you know uh, yeah, there, a, a star with the social media following can bring people around but this doesn't even have that they're just very kind of traditional big 
but quite old-fashioned now movie stars. Cool. Well, I noticed as well that Katie Dippold wrote the screenplay, who wrote The Heat, which is a bit of an odd choice. But then I just remembered she also did the twenty, the infamous 2016's Ghostbusters. So I think it's safe to say Katie may not have the best track record with ghosts. Um, <laughs> stick, stick, stick to The Heat, though. The Heat, the heat was great. Um, so following on from a spooky haunted mansion that had some haunted mansion and mostly just people in their houses in New Orleans, um, here's somebody watching me to play as before the adverts. I'm just an average man with an average life. I work from nine to five. Hey, hell, I pay the price.
105 Radio. On Cambridge Arts Roundup, Simon Burton looks at Mary Shelley's 1818 edition of Frankenstein with Clare College fellow Patricia Farah and discovers a comparable creature that modern technology might realise in the form of AI. One of the points is that he is a creature, he is born innocent and it's only by contact with the human world that he becomes corrupted and he becomes evil. We drop in on Fenditton Gallery's Hannah Mumby and see how to get a piece of art that really reflects you. The first one of autumn is a local artist, David Eamond. He's been part of the architectural community in Cambridge for over 30 years but alongside his kind of architectural work he has always created Cambridge Arts Roundup Sunday at 11 and at cambridge105.co.uk It's forecast to be another hot summer watering the lawn cleaning the car filling up paddling pools it all adds up to a massive strain on our local water resources but did you know a hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour? That's as much as an average adult uses in a week. And every single litre is high-quality drinking water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply Cambridge's chalk streams, including the cam. If we all switch our hose for a watering can this summer, we'll keep millions of litres in local streams. Can for the cam. And not only will you save water, but you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, here at Cambridge Water, we'll be doing ours, binding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. You can find out more about saving water and why it's important at cambridge-water.co.uk. Just look for Can for the Cam on our homepage. Can for the Cam. Ditch the hose this summer. The Ultimate Challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. Gather your colleagues, hit the water and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a range of bankside entertainment, food stalls and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival organised by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio you're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio, and this is the Cambridge Film Show. I'm Lorcan, and with me today are Matt and Will, and we're about halfway through our roundup of this week's must-watches with four more films to go. Um, next on the table, we have the latest DC Comics superhero. Excuse me, Mr. Reyes? You finished scraping the gum off that lounger or what? Uh, everything right now feels so out of reach. You always land on your feet, bro. You're Hyman. They don't get out much. <laughs> I just wanna rap. Jenny? I just wanna rap. Guard the hybrid's new life, but do not open it. You went in to get a shops, and all you brought back was a hamburger? Okay, I don't think it's a burger. You haven't looked? What the hell is that? How did you get it to do that? I think he likes me. Get it on! Roman. 
College graduate Jaime Reyes, played by Cobra Kai's Sholo Maradinha, becomes a force for good when he comes across an alien scarab that bestows him with spectacular powers. Donning the moniker Blue Beetle, he because of the protective suit uh, the mysterious device produces around him, um, it's not long before Malevolent forces come after him. Um, Will, you've seen this one. Um, one. <laughs> hopefully not this weekend, at least. Yeah. Um, how does how does this fit into because DC's a bit of a mess? How does this fit into the bigger universe? Um, well, I've just actually read up that James James Gunn said that it's part of the old Snyderverse, but it's more moving into the new DCU. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this progresses. Interesting. Okay. Um, so it's a it's a superhero origin film. We've seen we've seen those before. It's a suit of armor. We've seen those before. Mm. Is it all a little too familiar? Um, first, I have to say I really enjoyed this film from beginning to end. Um, it's a standalone film. So that's uh, good. We it, like which, which is standalone yeah. films are always good, and it's an origin story. Um, I feel that it does for the Latin community what Miss Marvel does for the Asian community, because uh, to do with unity and family. Mm. So I think that's actually a good thing. Um, parts of the film were quite predictable. Okay. I have to say, um, where you always know what's going to happen at the end, but you have to keep just playing off in your mind. Just enjoy the ride. Um, I only found out last week that this was initially supposed to go straight to streaming services, but the powers that be decided that, you know what, let's just give it a chance. And Excellent. that's where it is now, in the cinema, and hopefully it'll do well. And maybe Batgirl will get the same, oh, the same no, that, that's shelved. That's absolutely shelved. <laughs> I'm unhappy about that. Um, is it? So I, have, I haven't seen this one. I, I don't really know anything about this Blue Beetle character. Is it the same? So my issue with uh, all Marvel films are the exact same plot. It's magic thing main character gets it other character tries to get the thing that they want is it is it that um no it's more to do with um he's a first his first guy in his family to actually graduate from college so <laughs> yeah first guy in his family and um he decides that okay i've got to help my family because you know they're suffering poverty mm. and they live in a poverty stricken area and um, he decides okay i want to try and get a job and he miraculously bumps into um a lady called jenny cord who offers him a, who offers him a job interview, and in that, um, lots of things happen, and he ends up um, coming into contact with this alien scarab, mm. which decides, which chooses him and latches onto him, which makes him this reluctant hero against Su the ever glamorous Susan Sarandon and Raul Trujillo, okay. who was in Mayans. Yes, is it so? What's is is there? Is there any kind of threat? Because again, a common criticism of Marvel is that there's there's the threat's a bit weak sauce. Is there is there a villain to this that yeah you yeah the, well, said, the, vil the villains would be uh, Susan Sarandon okay um, because she's actually been searching for this tech because she wants to build like an army, um, you know, basically be the most powerful person in the world while actually okay. pushing all the poor Latinos out of their area so she can actually just rebuild all over them. So that okay. makes her a villain that way. But then okay. yeah. Is is she a nuanced villain, or is it kind of just general, generally maniacal? She could probably come across as sweet, but then you can see her <laughs> her intentions from the start. That you know she doesn't care um, because she didn't get what she wanted in the in a, in a family will. Yeah. So she's now searching for her own vengeance here, okay, and wanting to like, rule the world and become the most powerful corporation in the world. And you mentioned the, the, the family unit thing, which is Shazam did something similar. Does it do a better job than Shazam? Yes, it does. Because, okay. um, because he's, only, he's only got a little sister. But I think Comic Relief is brought by George Lopez. 
Yeah. George Lopez's Uncle Rudy and the grandma played by Adriana Barraza, Nana Reyes. She's absolutely hilarious. If you watch it, you'll actually understand. But okay. They bring total comic relief and it's to do... Well, you've got a father, mother, grandmother, uncle and then the two siblings. So it's just a very close family unit and the community is quite close as well. And... Do the special effects uh, fall victim to the kind of later era Marvel stuff, or is, does it does it look quality on screen? It actually looks quality, um, but then obviously there's that. If you've seen the trailer, there's that sword. Yeah, that sword that you, the you know, anime sword. Because anything anything your your mind can create I, will happen, and then it's just like the size of that sword. You're like, really? No. But at the end of the day, I loved it. Okay, action packed, family friendly. Uh, DC Comics romp, a standalone film, but also kind of fits into the the kind of newer tier of uh, DC films. Uh, Blue Beetle is a certificate 12A, and it's screening at The View and The Light Cinemas. Now we're off for a royal affair. I sent you to the royal wedding. Simple instructions. Don't cause an international incident. How's it going? You've done some pretty stupid things in your day, but this... Thanks for cake? Henry shoved me. An urge I currently share. What I need is some good old-fashioned damage control. The White House and the palace are going to release a joint statement. You've got to be joking. You can hate Prince Henry all you want. My NDA is bigger than yours. I want you to know that. You're wearing lifts. Know that too, sweetheart. You Red, White, and Royal Blue, based on the novel by Casey McQuiston, uh, tells the story of Alex, son of the US President Uma Thurman. Lovely to see Uma Thurman back on the screens. I can't remember the last time that happened. Um, and British Prince Henry, who, after a tumble under some wedding cake, are forced into the public spotlight just as their private love starts to sizzle. Um, Matt, were you swept up into this romance of international scale? I was very ready to hate and slate this. Mm. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I did kind of win me over a little bit. I mean, the the plot, when you just outline the plot, it, it just does sound like fan fiction. It's like, oh, he's the son of a president. He's a royal prince. And, you know, see their forbidden love blossom. Mm. But I think there is an audience for this. And I think that audience will get what they want. Uh, I was watching this with my wife and she's sort of, as they were having their argument under the giant wedding cake, and you think, oh, there's only one way this wedding cake is going. And she says, oh, I just love a good enemies to lovers story. And I think if that's what you're here for, you're going to get it. They have the the two sort of main characters of Nicholas Galitzine as Prince Henry mm. and uh, Taylor Zakhar Perez as Alex Claremont Diaz, the son of the president, they do actually have quite a good chemistry with each other, I think, uh, as they're sort of sniping each other to start with, and then that gradually sort of blossoms into this kind of forbidden love. It, I know, I know you hated it, but I, I, it did kind of win me over. Um, well, th what I was hoping for this is so there's there's I suppose there's two things you can do with with a film that's been marketed the way it is. It's very campy and um, schlubby. Um, you can either go Princess Diaries, where it's just complete fantasy of what it's like to be the president's son, what it's like to be a royal, and then it's just all these set pieces of just whimsy. 
Or you can have just really go for it and have a clash of cultures where you have you know, the super conservative prince meets the super liberal uh, Democrat, um, son of the Democrat president, and then, oh, can they get over their differences? This film was two characters who were the exact same, mm. self-loathing, constantly apologizing for their own behavior and everything they say and do and apologizing for their very selves. Um, and they're both, I mean, they've got different hair color, but I mean, they're in every, they're just two equal height, equal fitness status, equal opinionated. It's just the most boring thing watching two people agree with each other during kind of steamy romance scenes. And then everyone's acting over the top, but then it's also trying to be political and uh, for me, it just the whole thing just fell flat. Um, I mean, do you not agree? Are you, were, you, were you content of... Did you think there was any differences for them to get over whatsoever? No, the, the sort of the the obstacles to the inevitable romance were very artificial. Just sort of the pr- prince saying, "Oh, I can't possibly be gay because I'm a prince, and you know I have to satisfy the Daily Mail readers." <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a lot to, to dislike about the film. I mean, the, the dialogue is pretty cringeworthy at times sort of lines such as i will brexit your head from your body <laughs> okay then and uh, and many more we can't say on the radio <laughs> another one uh, he he grabbed my hair in a way that made me understand the difference between rugby and football it's like, what does that even mean <laughs> but it, it i think that despite the fact that they were very very similar as people there was still some fun to be had in terms of them getting over that initial sniping at each other to finally falling in love it 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 definitely wasn't a clash of cultures because it was just american and americans idea of the english where yeah. everyone in england sort of speaks in a very posh voice the whole time but i've got a heart of gold really <laughs> deep down um did i mean it it's it's kind of chast and it's kind of steamy. Did it because it, it's I think in the in the states it's a certificate R, but over here it's a certificate twelve A. Do, do you think it pushes the envelope for a, a tween film in the UK? I think so. I mean, I think LGBT media tends to be rated much more harshly than sort of equivalent um, heterosexual content. And the the chasteness of this, I think it's a twelve over here, means that it's almost difficult to tell what's actually happened in the intimate scenes because they sort of get quite a long way through the movie and they sort of say that they hadn't had sex yet and I was like well <laughs> what were you doing in all those other <laughs> scenes that we didn't really get to see playing chess like Austin <laughs> Powers that's how Russians uh, that's how Russians keep warm in the winter um I mean, did it did it at least look like a movie? Because I I found I found it had a very TV movie vibe. Lots of wide shots, lots of just over over blurring fluorescent lights. Did you? How do you find the look of it? Oh yeah, I mean, it it looked like a straight to streaming movie. There's um, a moment. So I don't think it's really giving away too much to say that it all worked out for them in the end. But <laughs> when the the king, who is a fun cameo that mm. I won't spoil, when the king is giving his kind of verdict on how important it is for the the royal family's heterosexual reputation to be protected and then suddenly there's a well there's a crowd gathering outside the palace <laughs> they're uh, gathering like, all over the world we we can't see this crowd but they are there <laughs> honestly and, and <laughs> they're really supportive crowd you know there must be people with signs and everything and you just get to see the two main characters kind of looking out the window but we can't see any any sort of crowd of a few extras. No, well, true true filmmakers leave it up to the audience imagination. Oh, exactly. The imagination to meet those is expect- more powerful. You can't you can't beat the human imagination. Um, 
Do you, do you think? I mean, I, you know my answer to this question. Do you think it's a good role model? These these two characters are good role models for like young queer people who are going to be watching this film. I mean, maybe. I I guess it's just having more LGBT representation is always a good thing in terms of how kind of underserved it is, and you know. There are tons of sort of terrible throwaway straight rom-coms. Why not have an LGBT one as well? <laughs> we can make movies as bad as everyone else. Um, okay, yeah, I, I, it, it is, it is nice to see a film like this getting the uh, attention it is getting, and I, I mean it's it's relatively polished, particularly in the marketing. Um, but I would say definitely check out Heartstopper on Netflix instead. It's a much more, I think, sincere and genuinely gratifying. My wife um, would definitely agree sure. with the Heartstopper recommendation. I think she's watched both series twice and is demanding I watch it with her next. <laughs> Sitting through this didn't didn't quite get me off the hook. But if you if you do sit through this, I would say there's an incredibly dangerous drinking game that you could play that I would not recommend <laughs> you play. Where every time someone says uh, the phrase Texas memo. Um, <laughs> Red, White and Royal Blue is Certificate 12A as discussed and it's streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, and moving on to Netflix now, we're joining Gal Gadot on a globetrotting spy adventure. You know what you signed up for? No friends. No relationships. What we do is too important. When governments fail, the only thing left is the charter. the most highly trained agents. It's a bigger operation. No political leanings. What's with all the speculation? No national allegiances. Time to make a statement. Working together to keep peace in a turbulent world. Time to free my mind of limitation. How many in the welcome party? Six of them. Vanessa the Majors, that's my form of reparations. They said you can't slide, you're a treasure to the nation. Seems fair. She developing a sense of humor. Hey! All right. The Wonder Woman star this time around plays Rachel Stone, top agent of the secretive organization known only as The Charter, a peacekeeping outfit that operates under an artificial intelligence that can predict the best course of action in any scenario that will lead to the most lives saved. When a rival operation threatens to steal this AI, known as Heart, Gal Gadot must uh, go rogue to thwart their attempts at world domination. Matt, um, is Heart of Stone a thrilling attempt to create a new action franchise? Short answer, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is an attempt, though. <laughs> I, guess it, I guess it is technically an attempt at, at something, but... It, it's really just symptomatic of all the worst things in sort of modern action movies where it's created for the kind of global audience. So there's not really a good guy. There's not really a bad guy. There's just, you know, the good people are the charter, this sort of spy organization who just does what they want. But they're, they're the good guys. And the bad guy is some other spy organization that is doing bad things. So we must support the good spy organization. It's like, well... <laughs> Whatever. You don't really have enough information to properly make a sort of moral judgment about what's going on. Mm. I think I'm not sure I really buy Gal Gadot as a master hacker. It's sort of going up there with Meg Ryan as a helicopter pilot and Chris Evans is a farmer from Ghosted earlier <laughs> in the year. 
so the, the casting is not great. Also, Paul Reddy, as as a member of her MI6 team, I've sort of seen him in Motherland as the sort of weak, ineffectual dad, and he's kind of just playing the same character. He's sort of weak, ineffectual member of the MI6 team. Yeah, I, there's just not enough to like about this. The action is very reliant on some pretty iffy CGI. Mm. There's some quite obvious stunt doubling. Um, Gal Gadot's <laughs> not a great actor. She's not very convincing. You never really get a sense of what her motivations are. And then towards the end, she's like, oh, I was doing all this for my team. It's like, oh, could have fooled me. Yeah. Well, there's... Uh, I, me- I mentioned earlier in the show, it's, it's an unfortunately timed plot. I noticed in the, when I was doing the trailers for the show this morning that the trailer for Heart of Stone says, from the executive producers of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, <laughs> like an early attempt to dampen that fire because the plot is very similar, um, but obviously not... not quite executed as well as um, Mr. Christopher Macquarie. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, how did, how did you... <laughs> how, did, how did this... Comp- have you seen Mission Impossible? Yeah, I, I, I liked... I like... I mean, it's a lot better than this. Sure. But how, how does... how does I mean, does it tackle the trying to steal an AI concept any better? Is there any well, I don't kernel of an idea? Or Mission Impossible really go no, into yeah. much kind of depth about the dangers of AI. I think AI is just a convenient villain because it doesn't have a nationality that you're going <laughs> to yeah. annoy by portraying <laughs> as the villain. So yeah, very very convenient for the, the modern age of global distribution. But the the plot is just... You, you, oh, well, I, I feel that I'd want to be able to outline the plot in a way that makes sense, whereas the plot of this is just, the AI says go to Portugal, so we went to Portugal, and then the AI said go to Iceland, so we went to Iceland, and it's like, well, all right. <laughs> Simon <laughs> we, says. And yeah. the AI says do this, but she, but Gal Gadot doesn't want to do that. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe just trust the AI next time, <laughs> seems to know what it's doing. Um, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, because I agree. I don't think Gal Gadot's a particularly. She's she's got she's certainly got a good presence, but I they're they're not, they're not doing the Schwarzenegger thing. Of Schwarzenegger was not a good actor, and early early on he couldn't speak very good English, so they directed him to within an inch of his life and wrote <laughs> very specific lines that sounded fun coming from his accent. Whereas Gal Gadot, they're trying to treat her like a Scarlett Johansson, but I don't think she's she quite fits that persona. I think she she can be used well. Like I think she is a good Wonder Woman because she sort of looks the part of mm. this kind of Amazon sort of goddess princess. But when you're sort of told, oh, this is Gal Gadot, she's a master hacker, I was like, all right. And then the, the opening action scene where she's with her MI6 team, but she has to stay in the van because she's the master hacker, but she gets out the van and then is running through the st- snow and falls over and says, no, you go on without me. So the rest of her MI6 team go down the hill and then she gets up and goes, oh, now I'm going to do my own master spy stuff. And yeah. rather than go down the hill with you in the car, I'm going to <laughs> paraglide down the hill and get there 30 seconds before you so I can kill everyone. Well, I, was I quite liked at the start, I quite liked the idea of Gal Gadot playing a, um, like a mousy, not in her element, not a feel agent. And she has to like break out and learn how to do her, like learn, learn the tricks of the trade and like match her teammates. And then as soon as she gets up and the big hero music plays, I'm like, oh no, she's like a, like she se- can do everything. She's a super secret spy within the spy organization. Um, apart from that, I thought Jamie Dornan was fine, but I think this is just another attempt at him 
doing a James Bond audition, just dress in nice clothes and try to have quippy one-liners. But I um, think MI6 really do need to look at their recruitment processes <laughs> because they've got a team of four people, and two of those people <laughs> were actually secret spies <laughs> for another spy organization. And everyone apart from Gagadat was horribly ineffectual at <laughs> stopping them whenever they found out. But that's, And again, it is kind of a twist that I won't spoil, but when the actual villain is revealed and they've somehow got their own kind of private army of mercenaries mm. and, and you're just thinking well how <laughs> you're just one person who's a bit upset because this super secret spy organization drone struck you the super generic backstory happened to yeah. you um, uh, and just to, towards the end where gal gadot says to the the actual villain i've got one thing that you'll never have and i was thinking I actually have no idea what she's going to say next here. Friends. And then she says, yeah, this actually is the power of friendship. Now, it's get a, him! It's always the power of friendship. Well, um, Heart of Stone is uh, a bit of a dud from the, our opinions here in the studio. Um, it's a certificate 12A and it's streaming on Netflix. Um, now, let's end the show with something a little blue. Oh, no, that can't be right. This is Will Ferrell. I'm lost. You're a stray man. You can do anything you want. This beer doesn't taste good, but I like how it's making me feel. This is Jamie Foxx. And that is all of the trailer for... Uh, all of the Strays trailer that we can play for you without getting into trouble. Um... Speaking of Jamie Jordan and Bond, uh, director Josh Greenbaum, helmer of the brilliant Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, in my opinion. Um, and he also did the huge entertaining docu-comedy Becoming Bond. Um, this time, this director is bringing us a litter of foul-mouthed pups and strays, a talking, a talking dog comedy that's definitely not for kids. When Reggie, voiced by Will Farrell, is abandoned, he falls in with a bad brood led by Bug, Jimmy Fox, to get vengeance on his former owner. Will, is there <laughs> anything more to this than the trailer showed? Um, well, firstly, it's not for kids. <laughs> um, but what, what, I, what can I say is that it's stupidly funny from beginning to end. Okay. It's rude, it's crude, and it hits the spot. And <laughs> while sitting there... You, are you working on the marketing for this film? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, No, I'm not, no. Um, all I can say is while I was sitting there, I was sitting, thinking, I'm watching a cross between The Incredible Journey, a foul-mouthed version mm. of... Homeward Sausage Bound. Party. Oh, I see. Yes. And, and um, Cats and Dogs, which I actually did enjoy. Um, but as funny as this film was, it does highlight the mistreatment of animals. I'm not an animal activist, don't worry. Um, but, the, but even though you're, you're mistreated, you still show love. <laughs> I was worried we had someone who cared about animals in the studio for a second. Uh, no, I like all animals, but, you know, um, I just thought I'd actually highlight that. Um, but at the end of the day, Jamie Foxx steals the show okay. uh, as a potty-mouthed Boston Terrier bug. And, well, he helps get revenge with hilarious results but I'm sure Matt will have something different to say <laughs> well Matt I mean it's been a while since we've seen Will Ferrell in a starring role we just saw him in Barbie is this, is this a good return for him in, in the lead performance yeah I'd, I'd say he's, he's pretty solid as the voice of the the main dog uh, Reggie the I think it's, it's just really hard to comment on a, a comedy because everyone's tastes are different mm. but what what he can say is that this is absolutely obscene, and I I, I feel like most people's patience with this is going to run out before the end of it because it is just lots of jokes about kind of having sex with inanimate objects and mm. pooping and weeing on things and biting people in the nether regions. It 
I guess that's got my vote. Yeah, there, there is there is humour to be had here. I think you you will laugh, but you think does this need to be an hour and a half long or however long it is? It pre- you probably could have got most of the fun from a sort of twenty minute short. It's yeah, you know, it's not terrible, but it is very kind of juvenile and just it's just a series of bits. They sort of go on their little adventure. So the sort of overarching plot, for want of a better word, is. Will Ferrell is a dog and he's owned by Doug and Doug is not a very nice owner and keeps ditching him and making him find his way home except one time he ditches him so far away that he gets lost and then he has to find his way home to bite him in the nether regions and that's it. Okay. Well, just quickly, do you agree that's just a series of kind of episodic situations or is it a bit more than that? I think it's slightly more than that but Matt is right that it could have been shorter but um, don't forget, oh yes, by the way, there is a mid-credit so check that out towards the end if you can actually stand the film, unlike Matt, who I'll sit next to. <laughs> well, it's only 90 minutes long, so I, I think I can suck it through it. I might give it a chance. Uh, Strays is a certificate 15, and it's screaming at the view and the light cinemas. Sadly, that's all the time we have for this week. Please join us on Saturday, 2nd of September, where we'll be filled. We'll be joined for Charlotte Regan's heartwarming debut, Scrapper, and Denzel Washington returns as he... Cambridge 105 Radio.